This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, uh, number 108 for Monday, March the 18th, 2013. Very good. Is it the 18th? Uh-oh. It is the 18th, yes. My computer tells me. It is. Me too. Good. The 18th of March for 2013. Thanks for tuning in and joining us here this week. Tuning in. Yeah. Well, you know, they're they're in some ways tuning in. Yeah. I Why just thought well, it's one of those things that uh, harkens back to the old days of radio that uh, won't have any meaning whatsoever in 20 years, but they probably will still use it. Tuning in. Well, why not? Radio will still exist in 20 years, like yes. live terrestrial radio Yeah, but will we're exist. on the internet here. Well, that's true. You don't true. tune in here. You download... It's still a form of tuning in. I think the the phrasing is appropriate. Okay. Um, But, you know, that aside, uh, we're going to see how this show goes. I'm all kind of mad today because my commute home was so annoying. Yes, very crappy out here. winter is back. It's snowing. It's generally crappy out there. And uh, On the other end of the spectrum, it's not bothering me at all. I thought it was rather nice out. I got here, actually, I got home, I got to your house before you got here. I stood outside for like four or five minutes just enjoying the weather and being cold. It's cold, it's snowing, in. it's the middle of March, spring starts in a few days. Come on, weather. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of this. No, I've I agree. A, I just, I don't mind it as much as you do. And had my, enough of the winter. My commute home is not done yet. No, that's I'm, true. I'm still in transit. <laughs> that's true. Well, with that in mind, uh, I want to play this, and this is a, a few minutes earlier than I would have normally, but let's let's play this. Um, this call we got from Michael in Texas. Sure. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is uh, Michael in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I was listening to your episode 107, and I believe it was uh, Jason that said that uh, he had to take a bus 30 minutes home after the podcast. And, and that just, uh, I just want to say I, I really appreciate all the time that you guys put into uh, uh, doing this podcast. I mean, that, uh, that right there shows uh, the level that uh, you guys are willing to go to to, uh, to provide this for us. So, uh, again, I very much appreciate uh, everything you guys do. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye. So it is true. Yeah. You take a bus home half an hour from here after I drive you to the bus stop usually. Yeah, usually. Now, to be fair, this is, you know, this is on my way home. It's actually physically between where, where I'm working right now and my house, so it's not really that inconvenient. N- no, it isn't. But at the same time, you'd rather just kind of go home probably most of the time. Here's the deal with Jason and I. We used to live practically right next door. I was a 15-minute walk from here. Yeah. I mean, one kilometer away, we used to live apart from each other. Yeah, that was nice. And uh, that made it really easy. He could come over here. He could go home. He could come back again. He once came and fed my cat for three months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot to ask, I to be fair. But he wouldn't be doing that anymore because now he lives a half-hour bus ride away. I still have a key to your house. <clears throat> well, I should give that back to you. There's no reason for me to have that. 
No, it's it's why not keep it? All right, that way if I ever lock myself out, you can come to Pickering and get your key. I can drive a half an hour <laughs> to thirty kilometers to get the key. Yeah, uh, and so you moved. You bought a house with your wife, yep. which is great. It's a fantastic place. And we're no longer practically, we're no longer in the same neighborhood. Yeah, so that's true. we still, but we still get together to do this because it's more fun to do it in person. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see what happens next year, next season. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that in mind, I got to wish you a happy biodiesel day. Biodiesel day. Maybe the buses you ride use biodiesel. Used I grease. I don't day. know. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's what it is. In 1912, the inventor of the diesel engine, Rudolf Diesel. Mm. Oh, that's named after him? Yeah. Seriously? Rudolf Diesel. That's awesome. He said, The use of vegetable oils for engine fuels may seem insignificant today, but such oils may become, in the course of time, as important as petroleum and the coal tar products of the present time. Huh. So he was a man ahead of his, ahead of his days, I yeah. would say. Um, and to honor Rudolf Diesel and commemorate his vision, we celebrate Biodiesel Day on his birthday, March 18th. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that a, that's, that's a really feel-good, It does. feel-good, feel obscure good. holiday. Yeah, <laughs> so you go out for St. Patrick's Day, which is March 17th. Get loaded drunk. You get loaded drunk. You eat a lot of greasy hamburgers and bacon. Mm-hmm. You take the grease from the fryer or from the, uh, the grill. You filter out the little yummy bits of bacon that are still in there. And then and you, you eat those. You, and you eat those, and then you pour <laughs> the rest in your truck, and away you go. See? It's, it's perfect, really. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. So Rudolph Diesel, Rudy Diesel, Rudy D, as I like to call him. Oh, yeah, that's good. He, he invented the, uh, the diesel engine, and we celebrate Biodiesel Day in his honor. Good times. Uh, I got another call before we get going here, and it's this. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Nola from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I just want to say thank you for the shout-out on your last broadcast, and I'm super excited about you doing another live broadcast. Um, thanks for everything, guys, and you're awesome. Bye. Thank you. You're awesome too, Nerla. Um, so Nerla is the listener who gave us the idea to do another live broadcast when we hit 10,000 likes awesome. on Facebook. And I couldn't catch her name on her call from a couple of weeks ago. So she called in again and, and there she is. Just to remind everyone, we are going to be doing a live audio and video call-in broadcast on Saturday, April 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Mm-hmm. And that's 2 p.m. on the West Coast, 10 p.m. in the U.K., and 7 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. So uh, you Australian people get up early and and put on some coffee and listen to us and call in. That'd be fun. So that's happening. I'll on. have coffee, too, just, just for fun. Sure. Why not? I'll you have fun. coffee all the time anyways. Yeah, exactly. So. I had a coffee after work before I came here. It's good. You're not an evening. I mean, you can have coffee all night and not worry about staying up too late. That's right? correct. You're lucky that way. I, yeah, I have uh, no issues falling asleep under pretty much any condition. Not a decaf kind of guy. No. <laughs> I, I don't see the point of decaf. No, exactly. So there you go. Saturday, April 6th. That's our live broadcast, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Check your local listings and uh, and join us. It will be a fun time. I'll be here. You sure will. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get started with the Walking Dead news. The Walking Dead News. Okay, quickly, the ratings for last week's episode, Arrow on the Doorpost. Good week, actually. Yeah. 11.458 million viewers. Oh, that's good. Now, now I say good week, but, you know, this isn't that much different than uh, the, all the other episodes. We're always over 10 million, often over 11. Yeah. Um, but that is, again, for the third week in a row, a 5.7 rating in the 18 to 49 demographic. And when you add in the 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. broadcast all together, you get 14.17 million, and that sounds pretty high to That's me. That's a lot of people. 
Can you? That's seriously a lot of people. Imagine yeah. if there were 14.17 million people in this basement right now. Well, you couldn't do that. Unless we shrunk you, them down with my shrink really, ray somehow. Really couldn't do that. <laughs> what about 14.7 million people on my street? Nope. No? No. You remember when uh, the uh, the Blue Jays won the World Series for the second time? 1993. Yes. Or 92. Did you, go, did you go down to Young Street when they won? Yeah. I did. Yeah, I was near Young and Eglinton at the time. I was at uh, Young and between Queen and Dundas. It took, it took me an hour and a half to get from Queen to Dundas on Young Street. Mm-hmm. And in that area, there was uh, they figured there was 150,000 people. In the whole street was completely packed all the way. Like Young Street was packed, Queen Street was packed, Dundas was packed, the whole area was packed, and they figured it was just 150,000 people. So that 14.1 million people would probably not fit in... Well, there's only about 5 million in Toronto, so... <laughs> well, they, I mean, they could all take like 10 steps closer together, and uh, it still wouldn't be you know nearly as packed as having uh, that many people in this neighborhood. You, you could fill up the whole neighborhood, essentially. So that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. 14.17 <clears throat> million watched The Walking Dead last week. Um, now, something interesting about this week is that the second place show for the week was The Bible. And I didn't. Isn't that a book? Yeah, I didn't know that there was a TV show of the Bible on last week. It was on the History Channel. Oh yeah, and uh, it had. Oh, I wrote down eighteen point eight two million, but that doesn't sound right. If it was that, in second place, that can't place. be second place. No, it? it was definitely in second place. So it was maybe ten point eight two million. Maybe that's what I meant. Oh, yeah. But anyways, the Bible came in second last week, which is um, unusual because usually it's football. But maybe football's not on right now. That's what it is. Oh yeah. I wouldn't mind checking this out if it's if it's really that popular and it's on the History Channel. It might be an interesting. It might be watch. interesting, but clearly zombies still trump Jesus. So, what can you do? Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got there, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all righty. If you watch the Bible, let let me know how it is. Well, how am I going to watch it? I don't have cable. Well, you'll figure out a way. Yeah. All right. It's time to do our recap of this week's episode. Pray. Purrs. That's a, there's a lot of purr in pray. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to get started? I am so ready. Sweet. So our cold open this week. The camera is panning along a chain. Mm-hmm. A chain, linked metal, also known as a chain. Rusty linked metal. That's right. And uh, it pans along and it pulls back a little bit, and we see one of Michonne's pet zombies. Yep. I was thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> but it's a flashback. Yeah, I figured uh, it would. It was a flashback after a little while. I'm like, oh, could that be current? And they got new pets, and they're just it, out in the woods uh, bonding. It again? was the same pet. Yeah, but then I I realized it was the uh, the same pet, and it was a flashback. So there's Andrea and Michonne. They're sitting around a fire in the woods. They joke. They joke about it being girls' night out, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, and Andrea asks. Um, Asks Michonne about where her pet zombies came from, which is interesting. Why? I, well, I was very interested in the answer because I, you know, I know the answer from the comic. I was hoping to get an actual answer from uh, the TV show, and I thought this. Uh, I was all excited when she asked that question. Okay, well, here's here's why I thought it was interesting because at first she's not forthcoming with the information. Yep. She kind of just stays quiet, like she's known for. Um, except then she says that they deserved what they got. They weren't human to begin with. Really? Yeah. Which I think is an interesting comment considering what you know from the comic book, which we won't give away because I don't want to spoil well, the comic. Well, from Playboy. Yes, from Playboy or the um, 
uh, Michonne one-off special that they put out a few months back. Right, right. It's in there, too. So you can get that in your lo- local comic book store. There's also a Governor one-off that's just out the last few weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, I have that if you want to see it. I do want to see that. Anyways, the answer to who those those pets are is in that comic, um, but you don't get that in the TV show. And the answer she gives kind of is at odds, you feel like, with, it with is. the comic book story a little bit. It is a, it is different. So that I found that uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. And I hope we get the backstory, but I'm not holding my breath because I don't think we'll get it. Well, the way we've been going, we get one or two flashback cold opens per season. So we're set until season four yeah, sometime. We're done. And, the, you know, the uh, the pet zombies are gone. So <clears throat> yes. there's no reason to bring them up again. We've already had a flashback having to do with Andrea Michonne and the, and the pet zombies. I don't think we're going to get another one. I don't think we're ever going to get the answer in the television show. No, we're going to have to leave it at leave it at what we have right now and uh, just take it for what it is. Such is life. That's right. Um, So the camera pans back along the chain and then dissolves into another chain and it's the governor in uh, his interrogation room, I think, where he held Maggie for a while. But now he's got two chains attached to posts with hoops on the end and he's holding each one and he drops to his knees breathing heavily. (laughs) Yeah, he's dextering up the room. (laughs) He's dextering the room. He's That's... getting the room ready for uh, uh, his dark passenger. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think of putting it like that, but that's pretty much what he's doing. If you don't watch Dexter, he's just getting it ready to be a killing floor. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Setting up the kill room. <clears throat> now, those those rings on the end of the chains, were those neck rings? I, I think they were just big rings of metal. I don't think that they have any particular purpose when they were designed and built i just think that they're big metal rings i'm not sure of their purpose yeah so that's i don't really understand their purpose other than i thought they were neck rings and they're used for chaining somebody to a wall around their neck well yes but you know a chain is not meant to chain someone to the wall right why not when you make it no you can use it for that when when you have a chain manufactured its purpose is not to chain someone to a wall there's like a myriad of purposes for a chain so i'm sure there's a myriad of purposes for uh, these metal rings Okay, that I can I understand. He's going to use them for chaining someone to these posts. <laughs> right. Right, much like the chains. But he got down on his knees, and he wrapped his wrist around the chain a couple of times to, to hold it tight. Well, so, I think he was testing the strength, right? He was, but don't you think the chains, if he wanted to chain somebody down with their arms spread apart, the chains would have to be shorter. Because if, if, if he handcuffed somebody, someone to these rings, mm-hmm. they'd be able to put their hands together. Yeah, that's true, but who cares? What are they going to do? They're still chained to the post by their neck. See, I thought I thought he was... I didn't really think of the two people being chained and them coming together. I was just like, oh, he's testing the strength of it. Oh, okay. Because you can pull a chain a lot harder with your arms than with your neck, I would think, well, without yeah. hurting yourself. You have more muscles in your arms than your back and your chest than you do in your neck. Yeah, although your neck muscles are pretty strong. It's just that you're going to hurt things like your your throat and your larynx and your voice box and stuff your various throat parts that's right your neck parts yeah so i don't think you're going to pull that hard with your neck if you can't pull it off with your arms your neck isn't going to help you right so i think that's what he was doing i don't know if there was anything more to it than that um he was just playing yeah he was just playing. he was all excited about his uh, kill room that he's uh, or torture room (laughs) that he's putting together he was just praying to what he's going to do in there i don't know so happy uh i got a quick call here from max in connecticut on the poignancy of the cold open Hey guys, uh, Max from Connecticut. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, had the time to call on a Monday, since you guys podcast right away. Just want to follow up some comments from Craig. You know, I called in a different podcast about this too. 
Um, the cold open with Andrea Michonne, I mean, I get it. I mean, they're showing, you know, what Michonne really meant to Andrea, you know, that they were close, spent a lot of time together, and, you know, the fact that the governor's torturing her is just, you know, game over, so to speak. But, I mean, it wasn't as poignant as I think they were trying to make it. I mean, I get it, but, eh, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it fit there. I mean, overall, uh, let's see what you guys think. I mean, I I wasn't a big fan. So, I don't know. I think I, I think Max kind of has a uh, a point there. We didn't really we didn't really feel anything new for the relationship between Andrea and Michonne out of that scene. That's true. I mean, Michonne was the same as she's always been. She was just kind of the the quiet, brooding character, and Andrea was trying to get her to open up. Obviously, it was pre everything that's happened. But nothing really came of it. It felt like kind of a cool excuse to go from like one chain to another chain. <laughs> well, now that I, like I didn't think much of it uh, when watching it, but now that I look back on it, I think maybe it's to set the set up the fact that Andrea does care about Michonne. In the last bunch of episodes, there's, they've been at odds with each other ever since the beginning of the season. They're sort of uh, at odds. She's you know pro governor, pro having sex with an alpha male, uh, and Michonne is you know anti creepy evil dude Mm -hmm. and so they're they've been at odds for a very long time now maybe this is to show that andrea does have a good relationship with michonne and she wants to save her which is her uh you know part of her motivation michonne along with everybody else that she cares about at the uh, you know team prison so uh we get the idea that uh that andrea does in fact care about this person and these people and wants to save them interesting episode in that case to put this at the front of I mean, it was all about Andrea, sure, but yeah. Michonne wasn't in it at all. No. But, uh, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, she wants to at least, um, like, they're, they're trying to tell us that there's still, you can't hang out with someone for a year in the woods and not become close to them, I guess. So there's still something there, even though they've had their differences of opinion lately. Right, exactly. Uh, I think that's what we're going to get into later on. But we go to the credits, and when we come back, we have Martinez and the governor's men loading weapons into a truck. Milton comes to question what they're doing. Andrea comes and uh, kind of does the same thing. She says they thought that, but she says they th- she thought there was a deal on the table. So what are they doing, loading all these weapons to go out with? Um, we cut back to the governor organizing his torture tools. He's in the room now, and uh, it, it's it's a different room, I guess. You think so? Yeah, I think so. It's not the same room with the oh with right the chains because this one has a chair. This one has the and chair a table, and, a and a table and a viewing gallery. And apparently a viewing gallery, yeah. Um, but the governor is organizing his tools. Milton is standing in the door watching him, and he questions how what he's doing helps Woodbury in any way, which is a valid question. Uh, yeah, <laughs> valid how does this question, help? You know? um, and he tries, to, he, he tries to tell the governor that he should move on from his issues with team prison, and uh, the governor tells him that he's doing it because Michonne killed his daughter, basically. Right. Did you see the? Uh, did you did you note the tools that he was laying out on the table? Well, I noticed a, f- a few of them. Um, looked like dentistry and or surgical med- slash medical tools mostly. Yeah, and what looked like a speculum. Yeah, I'll, everyone has pointed that, that out. Did, I found like <laughs> I didn't want to look at the internet, but I found that the like the creepiest thing in the whole episode. That this is one of the tools that he has chosen to put in his torture room. It's one of the tools. That he has at his disposal. I think he, he pro- laid it out. I know that, I, but I think he probably, you know, he probably doesn't have everything he needs. 
um, or wants. He has a bone saw. <clears throat> He's got bone saws. He's got a funnel for forcing water down someone's throat, things like that. Um, not yeah, very I mean, they're, cool. they're, all, they're all torture tools and they're all horrific and it's supposed to, you know, paint a picture of him being this evil bastard dude that plans on doing evil things. Yeah, oh yeah. But just the, 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 the fact that that speculum is on the table, that was the thing that creeped me out the most. All right. Well, there's more about that later because okay. everyone has pointed that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there he is. But, uh, now we cut to Milton telling, telling Andrea that there is no deal and what he's done is asked for Michonne instead. He, uh, sorry. Sorry. He, playing footsies with you. Yeah, here. a little bit here. Uh, Milton takes Andrea to a viewing gallery, the room that overlooks the torture room, and tells her to leave and tell Team Prison to just run. Yeah. Because this man has obviously lost it, completely lost it, if he ever had it to begin with. Um, Andrea decides to kill the governor. I have to kill him. Yep. And they watch as he continues to organize his instruments. The governor whistles a tune. He starts to whistle, He yeah. starts to whistle a tune, which I did not recognize. Me neither. And then he records it on a portable tape recorder and listens back to it. That's weird. Which is weird. I don't really know what he's doing here. And uh, even later in the episode, when that tune comes back, I wasn't quite sure what he's doing, but we'll talk about that later. Well, maybe it's, uh, you know, he's recording it so that he can play it back so he can determine what's real and what's not. Maybe there's other stuff going on that we don't see or hear because he's crazy. I don't understand. What do you mean determining what's real okay. or not? Maybe he's hearing things, right? Yes. And so he's recording this one thing so he can play it back to, to say, okay, that at least was real. That, that's a real noise. <laughs> I whistled. I whistled. I really whistled. Yes. That's okay. the only thing I can think of is that he's trying to use that tape recorder to distinguish real things from non-real things. Okay. That's, that's the only thing. I maybe he's, well, we don't see any of this, but maybe he's walking around recording himself talking all the time. Well, that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so he does that, and then Andrea points a gun at him from the viewing gallery, but Milton stops her from firing. Which is weird. A little bit weird, although, when I think about it, there's a lot of things would go wrong if she just fired and shot and killed him right there. First of all... She wasn't close enough that I think she could guarantee a kill shot. Ah, also because I disagree with that. No, it's first of all because she doesn't have a, a proper hold on the gun. She's putting it through like slatted window shade. Yeah. Okay, so she's not like pointing it straight in front of her and able to aim it properly. First of all, so she might have hit him, but she might have hit him in the leg or the foot or the shoulder or something, which is is going to piss him off. But it's probably not going to kill him. And the other thing is. They're, they're here inside this room, which um, could easily be probably heard by someone nearby, the gunshot. And if they're going to kill the governor at this moment, they need a way out of there safely. Right. And I don't think they really had that at the time. And I think that's what Milton was thinking. He's like, yes, if you do this, if you actually manage to kill him, we got to get out of here, which is unlikely. And if you don't manage to kill him, well, we're in bigger trouble then anyways. Right. I agree with the second part. I disagree with the first part. Really? I believe that it was short to medium range for a pistol, and Andrea is a good shot, and she's used to shooting people in the or zombies in the head mm-hmm. at ranges longer than this in situations that are more stressful, and you do not have enough time to aim. Sure, Whereas this one she was calm; she had time to aim. The range was right, non-moving target. She would have killed him. I don't think there was any question. There was no question in my mind about that whatsoever. No, I think, well, I think shooting through the window like that, sort of like 
down from up above your f- head. You're not looking in, along well, the same line. She shouldn't line have as shot Devon. through that particular slat. It was like a lower one so that she could okay. get the proper angle and such. But uh, uh, I, I believe that if she had pulled the trigger, he would have died. And er, this early in the episode, with uh, you know a few episodes left for the season, that was obviously not going to happen. Well, obviously not, but. Milton's thinking, okay, whether she could have killed him or not, maybe she could have, but I think Milton's thinking was like, yeah. you better not do this because we're screwed either way here. Like, right. I absolutely agree with the second part. Absolutely. You need a plan. This is rash. Yes. Uh, we're not going to get away with this if you do this now. You should have done it while he was asleep and you had a knife to his throat. And you were naked. <laughs> and you were naked. Because then you'd have time. It'd be quiet. You'd have time to get dressed. Maybe wait until morning, leave early, go for a walk, never come back. That's right. You know? But no. You don't have to get rid of the bloody clothes. You just take a shower. There you go. (laughs) Lots of opportunity there to do it. She missed it. So then we cut to Milton and Andrea talking in another room about it. Milton says there's no point in killing him because Martinez will take over and continue the war. So another reason that that, uh, it just wouldn't help, Milton thinks. Right. Um. The king is dead, long live the king. Long live Martinez, yeah. yeah. And he says there's no way to end this. Uh, Won't so, save your friends. No, nope. Andrea says, in that case, I'm leaving. I have to tell them. She asked Milton to come, but he says he belongs there. Yeah, that's Which a mistake. Is, uh, yeah, that's not going to end well for him, I don't think. No. Poor Milton. <laughs> so Andrea goes outside. He's and our tragic hero, I think. I think out of all the tragic heroes, Milton's going to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's funny how we've come... As viewers, we've come to appreciate Milton so much in general, not just us. I think everybody. I think most people are on board with Milton. Well, he's a he's a genuinely good guy. Yeah, he's right? just stuck in a bad situation. He, yeah, he's stuck in a horrible situation, and uh, he just wants to figure things out and to do good. And yeah, and look at and look where he's stuck. He's stuck, you know, uh, serving a guy who's hell bent on evil. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then know? again, so is everybody in in Woodbury, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. But, but he's doing it knowingly. Yeah, I suppose. And that's right. But And Milton's just trapped in this situation. It's a yeah. poor guy. So Andrea goes outside. Martinez is collecting weapons out there, and he makes Andrea give up her gun. Yeah. And now he said he's collecting weapons so they can just stock up the people who need guns can use them to, to fight this war. Is that what he was doing? Uh, I think he, yeah, he uh, was collecting weapons in order to uh, get ready for... The assault. Right. So my first thought was, wouldn't it make more sense if everybody had a gun? Then, you know, they'd be more uh, easier. It'd be easier for them to participate in this war that's coming. Yes, if you could trust everybody to have a a gun to do what the governor said. Right. And not walk up behind him and shoot him in the face. Arm the people that you trust. That doesn't make sense. Do what what you tell them to do. And disarm the people that you don't trust so that they're not a threat. Right. That makes sense. Well, yeah. That's not what you tell them, though. No, no, of course not. You just give me your gun. And uh, we need those. But the governor walks out, and he tells Andrea to uh, come to the meeting with Rick tomorrow. Yeah, (laughs) Because everything's going to be fine. You know, we need you there. And she plays all friendly and ignorant of the real true plan. And is like, sure, I'll be there, boss. Sure thing. You know? (laughs) Uh, We go to Sasha and Tyrese on the wall. He's learning how to shoot. Left-handed. Yes, left-handed. I noticed that too, actually. And he takes four shots to take out one walker. Well, you so got to practice. Everybody else can hit a walker every time, not Tyrese. He's still learning. His sister Sasha apparently is very good with the guns. She's kind of giving him. She pointers. didn't fire a shot though, but she gave him. She was just you know egging him on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, she said he said something about you know 
you know, be quiet or why don't you just do this? Relax, she said, I relax. Can. Yeah. I can't relax when you keep telling me to relax. <laughs> That's right. Just relax. Everything's fine. Don't waste bullets. He took four <laughs> shots to you're, kill you're that running one. running out of bullets. Kill that one walker. Um, but then Andrea comes up and she tries to trick them into leaving at first right. by saying Martinez needs you. Uh, they don't buy into that. And then she admits that she has to leave, but not before. Uh, and she tells them that the governor isn't what he seems. He, Which is exactly what Michonne said, right? Exactly what she said. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Don't trust this guy. So maybe that was another uh, point of having Michonne and Andrea's bonding, you know, be us watching their one of their bonding moments at the uh, on the cold open, uh, yep. because now they're back to agreeing with each other, finally. Finally. It just took Andrea a lot longer to come around to that realization. Yeah. Michonne got there really quick, though. Um, she also, she says the governor has done terrible things and is planning to do worse. Well, maybe also in the cold open, just to bring it back to the cold open of Michonne and her saying that the, uh, the two pets, uh, weren't human to begin with. So maybe Michonne has experience with people like the governor and okay. she took care of it and she's learned her lesson about these people that are dangerous, that are not what they appear, and they weren't human to begin with. So now when she sees it, she recognizes it right away, whereas Andrea needed a little time to gain experience in such things. Yeah, Andrew is more of a bright side person, and Michonne has already long gone to the dark side. Right. I like it. I like your theory, theorizing. Another one. <laughs> there you go. Second option. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, Andrea leaves. She jumps over the fence. Sasha and Tyrese let her go, and she takes off running down the road. Full, yeah, full dead blast. run, yeah. <laughs> down the street. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah, good one. <laughs> uh, Tyrese and Sasha are telling the governor about Andrea leaving, so they're on his side, it would seem. Uh, he plays his charming self and gives them a story that Andrea was all, she was alone all winter, and she's a lost cause. Yeah. She doesn't know what she's doing. Um, they don't reveal what she said about him, though. That's true. Because... Well, what are you going to do? She said you're evil. She was talking smack about you. You're evil. Now we don't trust you. Uh, yeah. Do what you will. Yeah. I mean, he. if they'd said that, his answer would have been the same. She's nuts. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't she, have told him either. She doesn't really know me. Um, the governor tells them to go give Martinez a hand with something. He goes outside, and uh, he tells he finds Milton out there, and he says he's going after her. He's going after her personally. Yes, he is. Um, for some reason. Yeah, for some reason, exactly. Well, it's his personal. It's his, it, you know, this is what he wants. He he feels responsible for her. Yeah, and everybody's just okay with it, right? You know, you're the leader of our community, you know, doing loner stuff all by yourself. Well, he, uh, that's the way he is, you know. He's, he, he's not the smartest guy in the world. He's charming. And he knows how to work a room. And he, yeah, he's quick to, th he's quick thinking. And, and he holds grudges and vendettas, and that's what this is. Yeah. Right? Um, now, he also finds out through talking to Milton, or through looking at Milton, that uh, he spoke to Andrea, <laughs> and he questions what he knows and or told her. So the governor is sort of losing a little bit of trust in Milton, I think. Yeah. You know? And Milton's a little bit more defiant. He's not the uh, yes, sir, how high, sir uh, kind of uh, lackey now. He's uh, he's defiant. He is. He's grown some balls, actually, yeah. a little bit, um, which is not going to end up well for him. We, we That's my assumption. Or he might be uh, end up going over to the, uh, you know team uh, prison. I would like that. I would like that. If there's going to be some sort of big explosion of of people here that involves 
switching sides. We already had Merle go from one side to the other. Yeah. Andrea's kind of done the same thing now. One Twice. side to the other side, back to the other side. A <laughs> couple times. And if we're if we have to have Mil- if if Milton's going to stay on the show, I'd like to see him come over to Team Prison. I like yeah. him. He's great. I'm just trying to picture the new alpha male that Andrea will latch onto once uh, this whole Woodbury situation is resolved. Well, we've got Glenn, he's spoken for. We've got Rick, he's um I guess he's available. Yep. Um we've got Merle. He's kind of an alpha male. He Ki- is kind, kind of. of. <laughs> yeah, she might go for Tyrese. And we got Daryl. I mean, he's the obvious choice. Well, Tyrese is going to come over to Team Prison eventually. I hope so, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm thinking is that it'll uh, it'll be Tyrese. I'm on board with that. We need that. a bad boy, though. She needs a bad boy. Well, Daryl's a bit of a bad boy. Milton, I mean, not Milton. Merle's a bad man. I'm going to have to go with Daryl. <laughs> or um, Merle. Uh, okay. Or if Carol yeah. dies off, that leaves, I don't know. But Merle's not really the alpha man. Anyway, we can uh, talk about this to her blue in the face. But, yes, we uh, can. <laughs> I don't, She's got to pair up with somebody, though. We, we need somebody new. We need a new love interest for uh, for Andrea. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens. I have a theory. I'm going to throw it out there right now. Um, I think before the end of this episode, yep. we should each choose two people on each side that we think are going to die before the end of this season. Okay. Just, just for fun. Yeah. And spoiler alert, on Andrea is one of my choices. Really? I don't know which side she's on, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> why don't we just pick four people that are going to die, then? We could do that. All right. All right. After, after, uh, after the... Um, the summary here. The okay. recap. Sure. It's called a recap. Um, so what the hell's going on? We get a quick shot of Andrea running down the road, still at full full run. Yeah, she's got to get there. Just just that's it. And we go back to Tyrese getting ready to roll out with Martinez. We don't know where they're going yet. But uh, Alan and Tyrese end up arguing about not making waves at Woodbury, not rocking the boat. Alan is totally on board with being there. He's willing to do whatever people tell him. And uh, he, does, he basically doesn't want to screw it up for himself. He likes it there. Um, through their conversation, it's revealed that at some point in the past, Tyrese saved Donna and Alan kind of feels emasculated by it. Yeah. Cause Donna was, uh, had latched on to Tyrese like a puppy. Right. That's, that's what he said. So I guess, I mean, I guess Alan's upset about this. I figure it would make more sense if he'd be happy that someone saved his wife at the time, even though she hasn't survived since. But. Well, you know, losing the attention of your wife to, you know, somebody you just met well, is a little upsetting. I can see that, but I don't know. It's, I guess. But get over it, man. This is the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, you know, hell breaking out on Earth here. It's, uh, you know, there's going to be some strife. There's going to, shit's going to happen, really. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to Andrea. She's running. Well, hold on. I want to go back one second here. Go back one second. So uh, when uh, Martinez was talking to everybody and said, okay, I need you to, you got five minutes and we need to get in the car. Right. Right. And then uh, uh, apparently five minutes later, he said, come on, I said five minutes. Well, it wasn't five. I timed it. Oh, really? (laughs) I I went back and I said, that didn't feel like five minutes because it was real time. The conversation was real time. Yeah. We didn't cut away anywhere else and then come back. Nope. This was 24 territory. You remember Kiefer Sutherland, 24 hours in real time? Yes, I do. All right. So uh, he said, uh, you've got five minutes at the 17 minute, 30 second mark of the television show, because I was watching it without commercials. All right. Uh, and said, come on, I said five minutes. And it was 19 minutes and 32 seconds. So that's two minutes and two seconds. Martinez <laughs> is very jumpy. Okay. He, he may not wear a watch, and he has a poor sense of time past. Yeah, so why give them five minutes? Why not just go right now? Because all he did was walk over to the car and get in the car. 
right? He must have done something else. No, but like, why give him five minutes? You got five minutes? Check the tire pressure, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that car doesn't start so well. He thought it wouldn't start right up. I don't know. Anyway, I was just thinking thinking he was being completely unreasonable. <laughs> well, he's the boss. He just, could do whatever he he's wants. He's just being a jerk for being a jerk's sake. Yeah, he could be, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we go to Andrea. She's running down the street still, and she hears a car coming up. From behind her, I guess, and she hides in the woods. The car just zooms past, and it's uh, it's everybody, Martinez and everybody in the truck on their way somewhere. They're on their way. Not looking for her, or they completely missed her. And uh, she's leaning against a tree, and suddenly from through the tree behind her, a zombie arm comes and grabs her and holds her against the tree. Uh, more zombies are coming from the front. All of a sudden, she's in trouble. All of a sudden, she is in big trouble. Sneaky zombies. Yep. And uh, she manages to get her her legs or knees up a bit to hold the zombies off get her knife out of her pocket while still being held around the neck by this zombie behind the tree and um she comes really close to getting bitten in the arm yeah that zombie kind of just scraped its teeth along her arm but she manages to get her knife through the eye socket of one and uh and then another one and then break the arm of the zombie holding her that was nasty and then take that one out too so andrea him she yes right in the eye Right in the eye. That's her specialty. Uh, but it was close. It was a close call for her. It was. Very close call. Once again, the zombies came out of nowhere, but that's what they do. They're, They're sneaky. Sneaky ninja, ninja zombies. zombies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> have we said that? Have we gone over that before? I, I think, think in previous episodes. I think maybe. Sneaky ninja zombies. Uh, okay. So then she takes off. We go to the Screamer Pits. Is that what they're called? Uh, I don't know. I just think of it as a reverse scarecrow. The Reverse Scarecrow. I think in the show they've been called the Screamer Pits. Anyways, these are the pits where the zombies are captured. Collected. Collected for use for various purposes around Woodbury. Um, Sasha and Tyrese are there, and they're questioning what this is all about. Martinez reveals to them that they capture them. And in this case, it has something to do with the meeting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we need zombies for the uh, for the meeting. For the meeting, yeah. Uh, Tyrese refuses to help, but of course Alan is all on board. He does whatever it takes to stay in Martinez's good book. And uh, Martinez says, look, I can take you back, let the governor know, and um, he'll cast you out on your own again. So it's it's your call. And Tyrese is sort of okay with this because he doesn't want to help. And him and Alan argue over it, and Tyrese almost throws Alan in the zombie pit. Yeah, he holds him over the pit, and uh, and then Alan just lets go and says, do it, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that never works. No, it never works. Not I mean, reality. I tried that once when I was a kid in a fight with my brother. It didn't work. He <laughs> <laughs> was just like, punch me in the face. Do yeah, it, just, do it. Just hit me, just hit me. He just, he just hit me. <laughs> yeah. He didn't stop either. It was, uh, yeah, I learned my lesson. It did not work out well for me. All right. Well, if someone's ever holding you over a pit of zombies, don't tell them to do it because no, they no, just I'm might. fight with everything I got to get the hell out of there. There you go. Good for you. Um, so we go to Andrea. She's now walking through a field and she hears a car on a road somewhere. And she kind of stands around for a second. She sees like an the, idiot. See, yeah, she needed to take cover way sooner. Yeah, get. I was like, I was mentally willing her to drop to her belly. Just get down. The second you hear that vehicle, you hit the ground. Yeah. If you don't want to be found, you hit the ground. But she stands around, watches it go by. You wonder where it is. And then lies down on the ground. You hit the ground, and then you crawl on your belly to the nearest tree. Or, Get or out st- of there. Stump or rock or anywhere you can take cover. Or just walk very slowly and maybe he'll think you're a zombie. <laughs> there's that too. Because you look out into a field, there's always like a couple of zombies moving around and such. Yeah. It's Andrea, probably a common thing. Andrea should have dirtied herself all up, messed up her hair, taken her shirt off, and just walked around like a zombie. 
so she wouldn't have looked like herself. You just wanted her shirt off. No, I'm just saying if she had the same clothes on, that's probably easy to spot her, right? And if she removes some clothing, it just looks like a zombie. There you go. Why not? But she didn't. She finally hits the ground. By that time, it's too late. The governor is suddenly driving right at her yes. <laughs> through the field. Um, we know it's him. We see him in the car. She gets up and starts running. He's honking the horn as much as he can. I, I don't know what he was doing. Like. Well, two things went through my mind when this during this scene. He, oh, sorry, I jumped the gun a little bit. Eventually, she gets away. Like, she, she, she gets does. to the woods, and he can't follow her, and then it cuts into a close shot of his face. Right. Uh, two things occurred to me at this time. One, he was uh, he was road warrior crazy at that point. He looked like the uh, the evil guys or the bad guys in the road warrior because he was just driving for driving's sake and never get out of the vehicle. You don't mm-hmm. get out of the vehicle. You, you kill people with the vehicle, but you don't get out of the vehicle because that's crazy. It reminds me of that old game, Carmageddon. Yeah. It's the road warrior for crying out loud. There you go. It has road in the title. And the second <laughs> thing is uh, <laughs> how loud this truck was. This truck was very, very loud. It was very growly, and that was, you know, in order to uh, convey how menacing this situation or how menacing he was in this vehicle. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is the same sneaky vehicle that he used to sneak up on the prison, right? I don't think it's the same truck. You sure? They have like a stealth version and then this loud version? (laughs) Yeah. He can turn on engine noise. There's a switch in the dashboard. Because I was just wondering, if this is the same truck, this is his truck that uh, he used to sneak up on the prison, uh, and they didn't hear it? Okay, well, I'll I'll give you, it's a fair, a safe assumption that it's probably the same truck. He probably has his personal vehicle that he uses. Is this the same truck that they drove up to uh, at the summit meeting from the previous episode? Because that, I think, looked like the same truck. I think the one he was in in Prey last night was different. It felt newer and a little bit more modern. And, and louder. And, and definitely louder. They removed the muffler. I mean, either way, they got some loud vehicles in this yeah. in this show, both sides. And uh, you want a quieter vehicle. Like you do maybe, want a quieter like vehicle. Like maybe a hybrid car. I thought that this vehicle was actually loud enough to wake the dead. Well, too late. <laughs> so is Daryl's motorcycle. It'll certainly attract them, though. Yeah. Uh, but she gets away, as you said. We, um, uh, we, she comes to some kind of abandoned warehouse. And I was thinking that this is the same place that we saw her and Michonne hold up for briefly in the first part of season three. You think so? Yeah, they were, they were, in a, they were holed up in a building at some point, And then you, we see them leave the building. I don't remember what episode it was in, but I think maybe this is the same place. And that's how Andrea knew to go there. She needed shelter, and she knew she could go here because they lived there for a while before. I think that this was just a uh, – I, th- I, I don't know about that, but I thought that this was just uh, a known waypoint between Woodbury and the, uh, the prison, which is why she knew to go there and why the governor knew, knew to go there. Well, it's just like, you know, between point A and point B is this thing. Yeah, that that could be right. I mean, otherwise, I mean, really, how did the governor seem to find her so easily, right? She clearly had a pretty good head start. Now, she's on foot and he's in a car, but he seemed to find her pretty pretty easily. He did. 
And there's got to be more than one way between Woodbury and the prison, you know, especially if you're going through forests where cars can't go. But by going through the field, she's pointing out to the governor that she's taking a, you know, uh, as the crow flies kind of thing. Yeah. And if you go as the crow flies, I could cut her off at the pass. Right. Right. So he went, he, he cut her off at the pass, which is this abandoned warehouse place. Okay. Well, I suppose it, I thought maybe, I thought it was the same place that her and Michonne were. I don't it, recall that place, so it, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, it, we, we didn't see much of it, but we did see it in the first half of the, of the season towards the beginning. Um, it was, it might've been the second or third episode. It was whichever one they saw the helicopter crash in. We, before that, we see them leave that, that location that they're in. Yeah, I'm trying to And Andrea's that. sick, remember? She says, leave me here, go on your own. Right. But then Michonne doesn't, and they go, and then they see the helicopter crash. Yeah, I think I, that's the order of things. I remember the situation, and I remember the, uh, you know, what happened, but I don't remember the setting. Okay. Well, anyways, I thought she was familiar with the place. If not, it's just a location that, uh, that she goes to on the way. Um, that being the case, I'm surprised we haven't seen it before, right? Well, I mean, it's all part of, you know, it's a matter of uh, you show what's important to the plot. Yeah, that's right? true. If you want her at the prison, you don't have to show, you know, every moment of the walk all the way there. No, that would be bo- long and boring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she gets there. Anyhow, she goes in and uh, it's getting dark now, but the governor's truck pulls up. So he's right behind her. Yep. Knows exactly where she is. We go to commercial. We come back and Andrea is inside the building. Outside, uh, we hear the truck pull up again, so we kind of have overlap there. And uh, the governor walks up to a door, and he comes in. So Entrance. Yep, it's very dark. There's debris everywhere, and they're both kind of slowly walking through the building. And the governor whistles that tune again. Yes, he does. So is he just nuts, or is, is there a purpose for this tune whistling? Um, I think he's nuts. Does he have the power of a bat and he can make sound you think and, it's echolocation? and echolocate stuff? No, I don't believe that. Now that he has a, you know, one blind eye. <laughs> yeah, maybe, that's right. Maybe it is. Maybe he's learning echolocation. I don't know. It, it, was it, someone write in and tell us if it was a recognizable tune. Like, is it an existing song that we, uh, that exists in the real world? Like, could that have any significance? I don't know. Well, I mean, you can't really just, you can't whistle the tune from, uh, uh, kill Bill. No, or... How does it go? Well, let's, let's not. But there's uh, also... I was thinking of the tune from Close Encounters of oh, yeah. the Third Kind. I mean, if it was something like that, I'd be like, oh, he's just a movie guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with his kid, with, with Penny. Maybe it was a kid's song. Maybe it was just something else. I don't know. I Like, did he make up the song, or was it from yeah, someone? Does anybody recognize it? Let us know. Let us know. Um, but he whistles it again, and uh, Andrea kills a zombie. She tries to hide. The governor now speaks and tells her to come back to Woodbury with him. It's your home now, he says. And we get this amazing shot of the governor standing behind a glass wall, uh, looking very pale, and his breath is on the wall, on the glass a little bit. It reminded me of that shot from the uh, Shane and Rick fight at the... um, not the school, but the... Uh, oh, the uh, police station? Yeah, yeah. The, where he threw the motorcycle at him? Where he threw the motorcycle at him. That's right, where yeah. we get the reflection of Shane in the window before the zombies come out. Yeah. Reminded me of that a little bit. Really, really good shot. I liked it a lot. Um, but then he starts... He has a shovel, and he starts smashing the glass with a shovel, with the shovel. He diehearded her. Now, I think... Why was he smashing the glass? Uh, well, one, he was angry. 
Two, he wanted to frighten her. Uh-huh. And three, if he smashed all the glass all over the place, maybe if she wasn't wearing socks or shoes, she would cut up her feet, much like uh, John McClane in Die Hard. My first thought was the feet thing, but she was clearly wearing shoes. Yes. Well, okay, so maybe it was uh, the crunch of... Yeah, it was uh, so she couldn't walk without making noise. Yeah. It was very smart. Yeah, he dieharded her. That's what uh, That's what I was thinking. All right. Because only- that's what the guy did, right? He shot all the windows because he knew that uh, John McClane didn't have any socks or shoes on. So put glass all over the exactly. floor. Exactly. <laughs> it makes it a little harder. Um, the only thing about it was it looked like that glass with the wire through it, which isn't the point of that stuff to be make it not shatterable. Yeah, you could not shatter that with a shovel. No. You'd crack it all to hell, but uh, it would not come apart. And It's not tempered glass like in a car. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he managed to do it because he has uh, the power of echolocation and super strength. Super shovel. <laughs> He's got a, sho- you got a plus, uh, shovel plus three. Yeah, hey, there you go. Um, so he drags the shovel sort of along a chain link fence, typical, you know, horror movie trope kind of, I liked it. Um, then he whistles again. So he does the whistling again. He's clearly weird. So we're doing very horror movie things here. We are. We're in horror movie territory, but it's working for me. Like I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, now he almost comes up on her hiding spot, but he's distracted by a noise and goes in the other direction. I was thinking that. I was thinking when she was going through... Uh, you know, trying to get away from the governor. I was trying to think of a way that she could set up a a kind of a noise trap, something that would take a few seconds for it to make a noise Mm -hmm. so she could get away so the governor would go in the wrong direction. And I couldn't think of one. No, so she just got lucky. So she got lucky. She got very lucky. (laughs) He follows the noise, but he finds a few zombies. He kills them. And uh, he destroys one of their heads with his shovel, just cuts it in half, and it was super gross. Many, many times. Yes, super gross. Um, she, Andrea is now hiding behind some large crates and almost gets attacked by another zombie, but uh, she finds a door, goes through it, but it's a staircase full of walkers. Yes, so full. N- full, absolutely jam-packed. So not able to go up there. But by now, the governor has found her anyways, and he's kind of cornered her against the door. He tells her to come home again, Yeah, which uh, he's just trying to be all friendly. And uh, she thinks to open the door and hide behind it while releasing all the zombies out to attack the governor. That was smart. Pretty good move. I, d- I didn't know how she was going to use those zombies to get the governor, but I knew that it was going to happen somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Whether she opened the door and ran, but then she you know, uh, would not be in any better position than the governor. She couldn't wade into them because then again, she would be in a worse position than the governor. So the only option she had was to do exactly what she did, which I didn't foresee. No, and it's it was risky, though, because if she opened that door, hid behind it, and he managed to just run away, sure, some of the zombies would have followed him, probably, but then she's also hiding there with zo- a lot more zombies milling about. Yeah. It was risky. It was risky, but you got to take risks sometimes. And the governor should have just ran. It's like, oh, look, a whole bunch of walkers. I should get out of here. Why yeah. fight them? No, I guess not, but he didn't want to let Andrea go, right? He's like... He he. Circle first of all, around, flanker. He first of all didn't know how many were there. Right, they're sl- they're coming out of a door. They seem to come out pretty fast, I guess. But, um, and I guess he just didn't want to let Andrea get away that easy. So he started fighting them, and uh, while he's doing that, she flees up the stairs, and um, after looking menacingly through the window of the door. Oh, that's right. She, she closed was... the door and looked at him, and then kind of slid away. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. Take that, Mister <laughs> Governor. <laughs> I'll teach you. <laughs> um. She uh, flees upstairs, and she can hear him screaming as she comes down some other stairs and leaves the building. 
She gets away. Good times. The Screamer Pits again. It's I, night now. Yes? She, she didn't take the truck. Okay, she didn't take the truck. So I po- posted on Facebook oh, that uh, after the episode, I can't believe she didn't take the truck. She should have taken the truck. He might have had the keys. Like okay, well there's there's a, there's a lot of things here. Um, yes, she first of all I, she probably came out the other side of the building, and she probably was just interested in getting away as fast as possible. True, he would have had the keys most likely. Like, why leave the keys in the truck? You know, um, he, maybe he was even smart enough to think if she manages to get out and double around, I don't want the keys sitting in this truck and then strands me here. Right? That's true. Um, also, it was dark. She had been in a very perilous situation she was probably just thinking about getting away as fast as she could the one thing that did occur to me though is that it would have made sense to at least go and slash the tires she had a knife she had a knife that she could have slashed the tires do you think there might have been possibly could have been another weapon in that truck there could have been something she could use There's probably another weapon in that truck but again i mean you know you've just gone through this there's this guy here clearly trying to kill you just get away. I mean, that's probably what she was thinking. Get as far away from here as I can. I probably have a better chance of him losing me and not knowing where I've gone if I just run than hang around and think about taking his truck or root through it for a while. I would have slashed the tires and looked for weapons and maybe blown up the truck if <laughs> possible. <laughs> blown up the truck. Get out a Molotov cocktail and, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that truck thing too for a long time, but the more I thought about it, the more it made sense that she just tried to flee. I would have gone after the truck. Yeah, all right. Just saying. Um, he left the lights on in the truck, but that doesn't mean it was still running. No, some vehicles have an auto shut off for the lights. Yeah, or it also just means that he might have screwed himself and ran his battery down. We don't know how good that. Well, you know, is. yeah, that's true. But batteries generally run a very long time. Uh, it depends on the quality or quality and age of the battery. Really that's true. I've been in cars not for very long and had the battery run out. Really, sitting there with the radio on. Yeah, not for a long time, but years ago. Just in a parking lot around the corner here. Really? Yeah. So you were hovering in a parking lot for a long time with the radio on? Yes. And, were you uh, stalking someone or were you making out? I, I was with a lady. All right, then. Enough <laughs> said. <laughs> it was many, many years just ago. I just want to clear, get a clear picture here of what's going on, whether you're a creepy dude or player. Uh, let's, let's, I, I'm no, not going to go either, but I was yeah, definitely... Yeah, well, it's a scale, but you're on the player scale, <laughs> the side of the scale. Everything's fine. I'm happy. <laughs> not on the creepy side. Yeah. I had to call my friend and be like, dude, you got to come and help me boost this car. Yeah. Anyhow... I have a similar story, but it has to do with getting stuck in the snow. <laughs> okay there. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, we in the show, in The Walking Dead that we're here to talk about, yep. we cut back to the zombie capture pits... And it's nighttime now, of course. A car pulls up, and an unknown person gets out and douses everything in gasoline and lights it all on fire. Did you notice two things? Two things that I noticed in this. I don't think I noticed either of them. You didn't notice either of them? One, uh, the uh, person that uh, lit everything on fire did not have duct tape sleeves. Okay, so that, all right. I tried to pay attention to that because I figured it was Milton that did this, personally. Uh, And two, the, uh, the... screaming thing that attracts zombies was not making any noise. So they turn it off at night? I don't think they turn it off at night, but I think that somehow this guy turned it off because he doesn't want any more zombies being attracted to it. I just noticed the sound was not in the background. So it's somebody that knows how to operate the thing and, well, doesn't wear duct tape armor. Or it just missed it in the, like, not, they didn't miss it, but they just chose not to put the sound in the background in production. So, yeah. 
Now, it, I don't know if it's significant or not. I just noticed that the sound was not there. I mean, everybody pretty much assumes it was Milton. Um, because who else would it be, really? I guess Tyrese is an option. But later on in the episode, we pretty much rule him out. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I guess not 100%. And it wouldn't be Alan or somebody because we know he's so on board with everything. Because he loves the governor so much. It wouldn't... Yeah, that's right. It wouldn't be Martinez. He's still pretty much on board with everything. It must be Milton. It's got to be. He's or the only. New. He's the only dissenter. But why would it be somebody new? Or it could be the guy, the creepy guy that was uh, watching in the woods, uh, watching the uh, the prison at the beginning of the season. We have an <laughs> unknown person, you know, going around doing stuff. Yeah, um, we might. Maybe it's Jenner. Maybe Jenner survived the CDC explosion and he's kicking around, following everybody around <laughs> for years, doing weird stuff like this, <laughs> screwing up everybody's life, uh, life, just messing with shit. Anyways, we don't know for sure who it is. We go to commercial. We come back. Andrea is now approaching the prison, so she's finally made it there. She I was tra- expecting a big uh, ray of light from the from the sky with like a because oh! <laughs> she looked so happy about being finally at the prison. She's been through a lot. I see the prison, she, and it's morning, so she was walking all night. She's been through a lot, exactly. So uh, if there were a ray of light, maybe a big spotlight from the guard tower or something. Who are you? Uh, but she's about to wave to Rick, who's in the guard tower. But no, suddenly the governor pounces on her, knocking her to the ground. Ninja governor shows up. And Rick just misses seeing anything happen in the woods. What was it? What was it? Oh, he, that was nothing. He thought he saw something. He looks through his scope, but nothing. They're now hiding behind the bushes. Governor's got his hand over her mouth. Yep. <clears throat> um, How do you think he caught up with her? I think he ran all night just to chase her down? And got to the prison right at the exact... Same point she did. Or do you think he switched on the uh, the stealth mode in his truck so it wouldn't growl and uh, he make pro- a lot of noise? He probably drove partway and then got out and walked the, rem- the last mile. Or maybe uh, the prison is only like 10 minutes away by car and he knew where she was going. So he, again, once knowing uh, knowing that she's going to walk as the crow flies, knows what direction she's going to hit the, the prison at, which is across that tiny little bridge. Everybody hits the prison. If you're walking, you go across that tiny little bridge. If you're driving, you go around. So he, I guess he parked his car, his loud car, uh, so that nobody heard him. Rick on guard watching. Finally, somebody watching. Uh, doesn't hear this uh, car, magic car again. And so the governor just kind of laid in wait. He got there before and, and he just passed. waited. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing, so he, he could figure all that out. I guess so. Um. So, yeah. So Andrea came this close and didn't make it. Yeah, so close. Uh, we go back and we find the, I don't know his name. He's unnamed... Governor Henchman, who hangs around with Martinez a lot. But number he, one. Yeah, he finds... Oh, well, Martinez would be number one. No, no, guy. I mean, the unknown henchman who hangs around with Martinez a lot, number one. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he finds everything burned up at the Walker Pits and a big gross pile of burned but still living zombies. Icky. Very icky. That was gross. The governor drives back into Woodbury. He finds Martinez. He tells him that he didn't find her, didn't find Andrea. Nope. And... Uh, and uh, Martina says Tyrese was some, causing some shit with the group. Didn't want to partake in their activity. Yeah, he. I sent him back so he could do some knitting. Is that what he said? Earlier when they were at the pit, it's like, we'll oh, take yeah. you back so you can knit something. <laughs> Have fun with that. Um, the governor goes to question Tyrese and everybody. He tells them as well that he didn't find Andrea. So he's lying to everybody. Are you sure? Maybe he didn't find her. 
Oh, he found her. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, the, governor's, the governor explains to Tyrese that the biters are used as a scare tactic. They collect them up um, in an effort to scare people and avoid another fight. He took a long time to think of that answer after Tyrese asked them the question, what are the biters for? And he, like, paused, and he thought... And then he answered. Well, he's, yeah. Well, you don't just blurt things out. Think about what you're saying first. That's the secret to being a good liar. Yeah, but I I would have called him on it. If I was Tyrese and I asked that question and I saw that look in his eye as he was obviously thinking about the answer, I'm like, I call Hmm. bullshit on your answer, buddy. Well, Tyrese does not. No, he does not. He buys right in and he apologizes for rocking the boat. Is what he does. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, he also, uh, uh, the governor then asks where he got the gasoline, and Tyree says, uh, Tyree seems to know nothing about it. He looked confused. Yeah, he's so he's either, if he did do it, he's a really good actor, or he didn't do it. He didn't do it. I don't think he did it either. No, that, and the governor rules him out right there and then too. Do you think it was the other option? We didn't really hear from Ben, Alan's son at all. Now, he's presumably on Alan's side, but maybe not. Maybe Ben is acting independent of his dad. Has he said anything yet? Very few lines, but he's had one or two, I think. He's just a satellite character. Yeah, but maybe it's him. Maybe that's why, you know, we're not supposed to really think about it. I think the, uh, I think if it is him... Uh, the person that we saw lighting all the fires and pouring the gasoline wasn't because that, I don't think it was the right, he was the, the guy that was pouring the gasoline I thought was bigger and taller. Oh, I don't think we got a really, I didn't get a really good feel for his size. We really just saw his arms and. Yeah, but and, the, you know, Ben's a, you know, just a little kid. Ben is a little dude, but well, he's a teenager at least. I mean, he's. Well, he has a teenager, but I just thought I got the impression that the guy that poured the gasoline and lit the fires was a bigger guy. Okay. So not Ben then. Well, that's why I'm ruling out Ben. Martin, Milton is not a big man either. No, he's not. Which is why I think they, the person that did this was uh, cast, uh, put in this place in order for us to think it was Tyrese. It was a big guy. I know, but they they need to set up. They set up some dissension from the group, right? And so it needs to be someone we know. I mean, they're not going to set all this up and then introduce somebody we've never met to do it. That's just that's the why way, I the think it's I Milton. I, I, re- I really do think it's Milton. All right, fine. I, I mean, that's the Although if he answer. had duct tape sleeves, that would have given away for sure. Right. Because why would he go out into the wild without his duct tape sleeves? It's his, uh, it's his hallmark. It is. It's his protection. He believes in it. It works for him. Mm-hmm. He's come to this place before with those sleeves. He knows that he needs those sleeves. Okay. This is a place where zombies are. I need duct tape sleeves. So that makes me question whether or not it was Milton. Well... In so the, I'm I'm all over the place here. I don't know who it was. It could be Jenner. It could be Milton. It could be Tyrese. It could be Ben. It could be anybody. Maybe Merle snuck away for a while and did this. Yeah, no, because he had two hands. He did have two hands. It wasn't Merle. <laughs> it wasn't Merle. <laughs> we can rule him right out. Finally. Unless he's faking that. No, he definitely cut his own hand off. <laughs> okay, outside, after the governor talks to Tyrese, he uh, finds Milton, and he tells Milton now that he couldn't find Andrea, so he's telling everybody the same story. Milton says it's a real shame about the Walker pits, and he hopes the governor finds out who did it. Yeah. And the governor says, I already have. Yes. Man, he's awesome. <laughs> I liked uh, David Morrissey in this episode. Yeah, it was good. Uh, he, uh, we cut to a steady cam shot that is moving through a big red door, a very appropriately red door, I thought. Well, it moves towards a red door and then cuts to past well, the door. Well, inside, that's fine. We go, it goes down some halls, around some corners. 
We go through a door that leads into the torture room, and there's Andrea. Of course, he found her. He brought her back, lied to everyone. She's strapped into the torture chair. The camera focuses right up on her face. I would say she looks terrified. Maybe he's just going to give her a haircut. And the episode that a, ends. That was a barber's chair, right? I think it was a dental or chair. Or a dental chair. He's going to clean her teeth and probably yeah. a few other things. Well, there could be worse things that could happen in a dental chair. <laughs> it, the, yeah, the type of chair isn't really that important. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I'm just, yeah. you know, it's a matter of, are, is he going to pull out all her teeth or is he going to give her a haircut? Maybe both. Don't don't underestimate the uh, the effect of cutting off a woman's hair. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> Although in the zombie apocalypse, I think the first thing I'd do is shave off my hair, especially if it was long. Yeah. You know, it's easy. It's you, Long hair's easy to grab. It gets dirty, full of bugs. You just don't need it. That's why uh, Carl should get a haircut. Oh, absolutely. It's like, get a haircut, kid. Yeah, seriously. And keep a razor around. Shave Herschel's beard off. Thing's probably nasty. Yeah. So, interesting episode. Almost nothing at the prison. It was all Woodbury all the time. Yeah, all we saw was Rick. That yeah, was it. And that was only for he a second. He didn't say anything. Nope, didn't say anything. Um, and I, I liked it for that. What did you think about the the sort of pacing and style of this episode? It to was, me, sorry, to me, it was, for me, it was a bit long in the cat and mouse warehouse chase between the governor and Andrea. Well, I didn't find, <laughs> the thing is, I didn't find it long during the beginning part of that cat and mouse thing because uh, that gave me an opportunity to take a bunch of notes. Right. So I took a bunch of notes. Uh, so I came back and everything was still the same as it was when I stopped paying attention. So that was fine. Okay. Worked for you. <laughs> so I guess in uh, in retrospect, the, the pacing kind of, it did seem a little long and uh, sparse at that point as well. You know, one of the, when when it was, came out that Glenn Mazzara was leaving and or kicked off the show, one of the things that came out or one of the rumors was that they didn't, AMC or somebody didn't feel that they had enough material to properly flesh out the second half of season three. You think they're just stretching? Well, you know, if anyone who listened to our show last week knows how much I enjoyed last week's episode. But one of the criticisms of that episode was that the summit between the governor and Rick seemed to go on forever. And it felt like they stretched that out for the whole episode when it could have easily been sort of half the episode, maybe. Think so? Uh, yeah, um, Jason on the Walking Dead cast mentioned that, and I, I, you know, read it around the internet a little bit. I don't particularly agree, because I think that episode was fantastic, and I loved everything about it. Um, but watching this one, with sort of this long scene in the dark, hiding in the, uh, horror warehouse, I kind of got what they were saying, you know what I mean? Like, this was a scene that could have been a little shorter, maybe could have been slightly more effective, but it was dragged out a bit to fill this episode. I didn't feel that, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I mean, I made a you know, quip about making notes and such, but I thought that the, uh, the suspense was there mm-hmm. for, for that kind of stuff. Yes, we knew that, uh, you know, uh, Andrea was hiding and she needed to hide, and so the governor was chasing her and being menacing mm-hmm. because he's, uh, you know, this is his hunt. He's hunting. He's enjoying himself. He's, uh, he's trying to get his prey, and part of that enjoyment is to terrorize the person mm-hmm. right so he's menacing with the car he let her get away there yeah like he could have easily run her down like the car was making a lot of noise and uh, if you looked at the the shot of where andrea was going and where the car was and the real two relative speeds of these two things there's no way she would have got away 
So yeah. he let her go. He's menacing her. So I thought that the uh, the pacing regarding that was uh, him being slow and deliberate. And I didn't find that it was... I didn't feel that it was stretched because of lack of material. I, 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 I get that. I mean, I, I certainly didn't dislike this episode. I thought it was quite good. And there was lots of great stuff about it. I really liked everything actually with Milton and the way he manned up a little bit and stood up to the governor and how him and Andrea, you know, at the beginning saw the governor and they sort of, I don't know, they came together a little bit in their feelings about how Woodbury was turning into something they didn't like. Um, that was all great. It's just once Andrea got on the road, you know, we see her on the road, we see her going through the field and you're right, they sort of pulled it off and, and the governor was menacing and definitely evil. Um, but it did feel a little stretched, and I can't hold too much against it for that because I still really did enjoy it. But I, I was wondering if maybe this is the kind of thing that, you know, at least sort of led in part to Glenn Mazzara's departure. It could be. I, I mean, mean, who knows? It's just speculation. Yeah, it's just spec. When when I was when we talked about the lack of material, I was thinking lack of written material. Right, and mm-hmm. whereas this is lack of things that happen, yeah, right. So I think that uh, maybe, you know, because of the the lack of actual uh, dialogue, maybe they had to stretch this kind of stuff. But the cinematographer and directors, I think, did a fantastic job of uh, properly pacing that to fill the forty four mm-hmm. minutes. That I can absolutely I get on board with. Yeah. I mean, they did a good job. <laughs> I, I want to say they did a good job with what they had. But I don't think what they had was all that lacking. Right. It just, maybe. You know, I don't know. Um, I didn't like it as much as the previous episode, and I'm I'm sort of uh, in the minority there, I think. It was different. Oh, this yeah. This was a different episode than, uh, even the last one was a different episode, but this was a different episode in a different way. Well, we've had three different episodes in a different way in a row now. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's the first time in a while we've had an only Woodbury episode, or at least mostly only. Yeah. Mostly only. Mostly only in a while. First time. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, cool. There's only two episodes left. Something's going to happen. I hope so. So, before we move on to our break, we are going to pick some people that are going to die. So, this is totally impromptu off the top of our heads. Right. Um, I'm going to go with all speculation here, folks. Uh, nothing spoilery about this. It's just us throwing out names of who we think is going to die in the next two episodes. We don't know what we're talking about. Of course not. I'm going to go with the governor. It, okay. I don't think the governor is going he's to survive. Not gonna, he's not going to survive the season. That's right. I don't think Andrea is going to survive. And I'm going to put Andrea on the Woodbury side for now, if I'm picking from, okay. from each side. I also actually don't think Martinez is going to survive. No, he's a dead man. I do think Milton is going to survive. On terms of uh, Rick's group, Team Prison, I think Herschel's a dead man. And other than that, it's a tough call. I don't want her to be killed off, but I think Beth might not survive. Okay, so those are all good. I think Martinez is dead for sure. Yep. You're probably right about the governor. Yeah. Uh, Andrea's going to survive for sure, in my opinion. I think Herschel's dead Mm -hmm. and uh, Merle. We'll die. Oh, Merle's a good call for sure. I think Merle's a good call. I don't know about that. I though. think Merle was uh, was. Uh, I think he was brought back for the season. I don't think he's going to survive the season. Yeah, brought back for this year. People love him. Bring him back. Give him a big part, and then that's it for him. Yeah. I could see that. I think uh, he's going to save his little brother. He's going to sacrifice himself to save his little brother. Oh my God! So Merle's going to go out as a hero. 
Yeah. After all this. After all that, we're going to like Merle and he's going to die. Wow. Herschel's got to die. You may be right. Herschel has got to die. What about the baby? That is a tough call. I, you know what? This is going to sound horrible, but I want, I hope the baby doesn't survive. Yeah. <laughs> because the baby, I, I just find the baby is an encumbrance and a burden on this show that it, that it doesn't need. I'm just going to cut that right out of context and paste it all over the internet. I hope the baby dies. Well, you just said it much more clearly than I did. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, there you go. That's that's who we think is going to die. So let's move on. No, I don't think the baby's going to die because I think uh, Beth is going to survive, and Beth is going to be the primary caregiver of the baby. So Beth is going to survive to the end of this show, running around with a baby in her arms. Yes, and I don't think the show's going to be about the baby, but I think the baby's going to show up every once in a while. It's always going to be there, right? Yeah. Yeah, you may be right about that, but. Uh, I'd like Beth to do other things. I'd like Beth to develop a little bit more into a, not that, you know, caring for a baby is not a useful member of the group, but I just want to see her do other stuff than just always walk around feeding a baby and shooting guns into the ceiling. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I guess not. Not not this season, not next season. It's too bad. I really like Emily Kinney. I want her to have a big role. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. <clears throat> All righty. Well, let's take a quick break and move on. If you've got thoughts or opinions about this episode, send them in. Call our voicemail line at one eight six six four eight three 483 zomb or email us at gmail.com. At we will take a quick break. Uh, after this, we've got listener feedback. And, of course, holy crap, did you see that? This is The Talking Dead number 108. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. you the listeners of the talking dead audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out the service we always like to recommend a book so you can go there and you know choose a book maybe on our recommendation maybe not but if you're going to get one for free uh jason what do you think people should get no i think i might have recommended this before but i think i recommended this because i read it years ago and it was available on audible but i finally purchased it and i started listening to it and it's as much fun now as it was when i originally read it back in the 90s fantastic this is world war in the balance by harry turtledove i believe we've talked about it but that's fine okay so this uh, the idea is 1944 in the midst of world war ii aliens invade the earth and uh basically humanity bands together in order to fight this uh, this alien invasion what what could make a better story than that it, it's actually really good it's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm much enjoying it. So Harry Turtledove, World War in the Bounce, the first of a, a bunch of books that uh, are in this series. And uh, it comes in at a, uh, what's what are we doing here? 26 hours, 33 minutes. That is a good, solid chunk of listening, everybody. And if you're already listening to a podcast or you listen to uh, you know other audiobooks or whatever you want to do, go over to Audible 
and uh, pick up a free audiobook about aliens invading the Earth and yeah. humanity fighting back. I mean, it's a classic story of survival, I'm sure. It's fun. <laughs> All right, to download that book or any other book of your choice, head over to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for your free audiobook. Listener feedback. All right, everybody, it's time for some listener feedback. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff here today, so let's just power right through, okay? Sure. We've got uh, Paul from the Internet writing uh, about Andrea going back to Woodbury. This is from the previous episode. He says, I think you missed something important with Andrea's decision to go back to Woodbury in the last episode. As the two camps are entering their respective vehicles, she looks towards Herschel uh, sorry, she looks towards the prison group in a way that suggests that she wants to join them, but Herschel, who earlier stated her dilemma about defecting, shakes his head in a subtle manner as if to say it's not the right time. Oh. So I went back and watched the scene again, and it basically plays out that way, but Herschel kind of gives her a look. I didn't really detect a head shake from him, but he kind of gives her a look, and then Andrea does sort of a knowing head nod almost, like... It's not the right time. I can still be more effective. Like, I'm with you guys now, but I can be more effective at Woodbury. So I'm going to go back and, you know, be like a spy there sort of for you. It's not just a typical, uh, you know, uh, general uh, conversation with head nods like, hey, hey, what's up? No, there's none of that. It's no. it's a knowing head nod. Right. <laughs> she, she purposefully nodded that head. So it's kind of uh, – it's one of those um, – what do you call it? The soap opera kind of everybody's giving each other looks. The camera lingers and people's eyes move back and forth, shift back and forth shiftily. <laughs> Shipboard. Right. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I think the point here is Andrea is fully on board with, with uh, Team Prison, but is sort of working as an agent in the governor's enclave. And, and, and the last episode has more or less, uh, you know, confirmed that. So. Well, I think, uh, I think Herschel's Obi-Wan. Was, uh, I've been thinking about this over the past week about uh, you know the governor and Rick being Han Solo, and we have uh, yeah I think they're uh, and how uh, Martinez and Daryl are Chewbacca. Well, we got an email about that too. Do you want to oh, hear it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna skip Bring right to up. right to the end here. Gert from Norway writes: You were talking about how everyone's respective Star Wars roles on the lost. You were talking about everyone's respective Star Wars roles on the last podcast. Right. I'm having trouble with the reading today. <laughs> Naturally, this is something I do with every piece of storytelling that I consume. Right. <laughs> and I thought it was obvious that Andrea was Lando Calrissian. She set up the meeting between Han Solo, Rick, and Darth Vader, the governor. Oh, very true. We kind of went with two Han Solos at the same table because, you know, he's not his father and... And so yeah, on and so true. on. But anyways, Lando Calrissian yep. set it all up. Makes perfect sense. I think so, too. Very good. And uh, um, I like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got uh, Stephen from Texas here. Also, uh, this was also sent in from Brian in Cincinnati, I think. But it's about how the governor knew about the guns 
that Rick brought back from from uh, right. We, the we run. talked about spies and such. Yeah. So I got two things here. First of all, Stephen's email. He says this is in reference to the whole "How did the governor know about the guns?" conversation. I think you guys may be overthinking it. Obviously, Andrea told him. The events of this episode happen at least a few days after the gun run. Andrea had to have time to facilitate the meeting. She probably visited the prison multiple times to convince Rick, set up the times and locations. During her diplomatic attempts, she would have seen the buffet of guns and probably used that info to try and talk the governor into meat. As in, they are ready for war. They have a giant stockpile of guns and they've just acquired blah, blah, blah. She obviously cannot keep her mouth shut about all other things, Rick, i.e. Shane's baby, details in every member of the prison group, etc. So I don't see why she would keep that kind of info to herself either. Oh, there you go. It kind of makes sense. Lando's a jerk. Yeah, Lando's just can't keep his mouth shut. No, he can't. The other thing I wanted to say is that on AMC's Talking Dead show last night, Lori Holden was on. And this question came up, actually, on the show. Did it? And her answer was interesting. Her answer, um, she was talking about how the governor knows certain things. And she listed off various ways for him to know. And she said, it might be this, it might be this, it might be one of his spies. So so I think Laurie Holden was just talking and it just kind of came out because, I don't know, there's an assumption that the governor, why wouldn't he have spies? But our theory was that there was a spy in the woods, and Rick almost see, has almost seen him or her a couple of times, but not quite. And uh, then she goes on the show and says that. Well, well, well. So uh, there you go. I think there might be a spy involved. I think she meant flies. One of the governor's flies. Yeah, which are also spies. <laughs> I don't know. She, you know, it. They didn't really push her. They they didn't really press her on that answer at all because it's. Talking Dead, and they don't do They're that. They're not going to do that. They're gonna, everybody's like, "Oh, can we even air that?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. This is live. Why didn't we bleep that out? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so there very well could be spies out there. But I like Stevens from Texas. Steven is going with the all else being equal, take the simplest option, and he's he's got it right there. Andrea said it. Occam's Razor. That's right. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, Connie from Connecticut writes in the thing I keep thinking about the governor. Uh, and his nasty eye scar. If eyes are the windows to your soul, then that rotting black pit is a clue to how rotted the governor's soul is. When he was looking at in his eye with the match, and it was oozing, it was an oozy, slimy thing. When he faced Rick, it was dead, just like his humanity and the walkers around him. Awesome. <laughs> so look at a man's eye, and you can tell what kind of mood he's in, or his personality. Right. <laughs> Especially if it's been poked with glass. Yeah. Um... Let's see. James from the UK on how the groups are similar. Overall, I feel that the episode symbolizes the fact that Rick and the governor are the only two characters that are blood-hungry for war. As Daryl, Martinez, Milton, and Herschel realize that the two communities are alike, just sane people who want to survive. The episode shows that Rick and the governor are also beginning to grow alike, as both are, at this point in the show, practically dictators, with the survivors, survivors of the two groups being fed lies that cause them to hate the opposing dictator. The whole situation would never have risen without the two. Rick wasn't lying when he said to the group in uh, 213, episode 213, that this isn't a democracy anymore. It is a dictatorship. Right. <laughs> so, um, clearly, everyone wants to just work things out, except for these two. Or get the hell out of Dodge. These two maniacal leaders. <laughs> right. Hell-bent on destruction, these two. That's what they do. I mean, come on. 
All right, uh, let's do some of these. Holy crap. Did you see that? All right, our first holy crap comes from Ryan in Tennessee. Hi, my name is Ryan. I'm from Clarksville, Tennessee. I just wanted to say that, one, I love your show, and two, I have a holy crap moment, which is a 43-minute and seven-second-long moment, which is the last episode. Holy crap. The entire episode was amazing. And I wanted to say that I loved it so much that it makes me incredibly upset that at some point we know David Morrissey has to leave the show. The way it was set up, we know there is no way Rick and he can coexist. The governor has to go. And unfortunately, because he's so amazing, that is a very sad note. I love your show. Listen to it all the time. Keep doing what you guys are doing. And once again, love you guys. Peace. Thank you. Uh, so I think Ryan feels like I do. He agrees with you for sure. Setting up the governor to not survive for too much longer. And that is kind of a bummer because David Morrissey has just gotten better and better on this show. Absolutely. Way back in the beginning of this season when I complained that that he was uh, – that scene between him and Andrea when they were in the, in the garden and they were all lovey-dovey and sharing the whiskey and so on. And I didn't really like sort of how that played out. Right. We don't get any of that anymore. He's awesome now all the time. So – there you go. Totally crazy. William from Illinois sent in this. Holy crap. Hi, my name is William Ron, and I'm calling from Illinois. Uh, and I'd just like to call in with my holy crap to see that. It was when the governor was, like, laying all his tools out in his torture chamber. And uh, he pulls out, and it's, like, sitting two uh, items away from, like, the funnel, gas mask, column thing. And uh, it looks like an ice cream scoop. What could you possibly torture someone with an ice cream scoop? That's my holy crap. You see that moment, and uh, thanks for the good show. So, uh, what could you possibly do with an ice cream scoop, That's Jason? That's not an ice cream scoop. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, an ice cream scoop might be an appropriate torture device, depending on what you want to do to a person. Which ice cream you want to scoop? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Uh, Paul from the UK writes, my holy crap, did you see that moment? Was actually seeing a dirty, unwashed Hyundai outside the summit meeting. Of all the days for the car wash to be out of order. (laughs) And I bring that up because every week somebody writes in about the cleanliness of the car, clean or dirty. (laughs) It's important. It's a hot topic, I'll tell you. Um... Waltz from Georgia writes, has anybody noticed how two days ago at the meeting at the barn, it was nice and warm. Everybody was wearing summer clothes. Now today, as they prepare and load the vehicle at Woodbury, everyone is wearing heavy jackets and steam when they talk. Uh, Also, the trees in the background look like fall is setting in. Wow, it got cold quick. Sure does, doesn't it, I guess? From what I understand, though, it seems like the weather down there in Georgia changes quickly. Um, It's like Calgary. Yeah, or, well, most places, well, I Calgary, guess. if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. <laughs> there you go. But, like, I, you know, I heard all sorts of story about stories about how hot and grueling it was on set and so on, and everybody's disgusting and sweaty and gross, and then how cold and freezing it was the night they were shooting the season two finale with the barn on fire. True. Now, clearly, it's a different time of year, and it's at night, not the day, but it seems like there's a big variance in temperature. So maybe this kind of temperature shift isn't all that unusual in georgia i don't know but then again walt is from georgia so you'd think he'd know 
You'd think so. But who knows? Uh, Cindy on the internet wrote, the governor's shovel to the head was pretty badass and the nasty, gnarly, burned-up, moaning zombies aftermath. That was, yeah. Both gross, gross, holy crap scenes. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah, Ted from Cleveland, he wrote this. This is about that, uh, I already mentioned it on holy crap. She said, uh, Laurie Holden said, it could have been Tyrese or one of his spies. Um, so we know there are spies at the prison. Yeah. That was kind of a holy crap moment that wasn't even in the episode. I felt the same way because I'm like, wait, she just said spies. <laughs> I don't think she was supposed to say that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Rich from Vancouver writes, my holy crap moment was the entire cat and mouse scene between the governor and Andrea in the abandoned warehouse. Talk about suspenseful. I thought for sure that the governor was going to find Andrea and kill her. Although there is a big part of me that can't wait for Andrea to die, I was surprised to find myself rooting for her as the governor hunted her in the darkness. This is her redemption. This, this is, is her start... coming through the birth canal, is it? No, that, well, not just in, specifically about the whole uh, horror movie trope. She's not Survivor Girl. Right. Right. So, But I think that uh, this episode is the beginning of her redemption. She's, uh, you know, sided with the governor, was, you know, his advocate, his apologizer, his enabler, and now she's realized uh, what Michonne has known the whole time, and she's trying to redeem herself. She's trying to get away. She's going to be tortured. She's going to eventually get away. She's eventually going to side with the... Uh, with the, the uh, what do you call it, the prison people, and uh, she's going to redeem herself in the next two episodes. I don't think she's, well, you know, I don't think she's going to survive the season. She might not even survive the torture. I think she's going to kill the governor. You think it's going to be her? Right? I think it's going to be her. She's had two clear chances. I can do it, and she's in one of them. She choked, and the next in the other one, she was stopped. I think the third time is the charm, and she's going to do it. You know, I can see this whole thing being her redemption. Right? She flees. She he comes after her. She manages to get away. Basically, she's separated herself from the governor, but she didn't really get away. That's the problem. She she did, but then he gets her and he straps her to the chair, and now now she's his to sort of treat how he will. Yeah. And it, I think it was almost her redemption. If she survives the torture and manages to get away and fully break free of the governor's clutches, then sure, I'm all with you. But I don't know that that's going to happen. That's what I suspect will happen. All right. I don't have as, I'm not as optimistic about Andrea's fate. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lori from the internet writes, now I think Lori's been writing us, she's a long-time listener, been writing for a long time, but I don't know that she's ever said where she's from. So Lori, next time you write in, let us know. Unless you don't want to, that's totally cool too. You can be from the internet. Yeah. Lots of people are from the internet. Tons. Uh, so right now she is from the internet and she says, my holy crap, did you see that, is when the governor was laying out his torture tools and one of them was a speculum. How did that, how did he get that? And has he used it before? Looked awfully clean. <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel, but if they start showing the governor using that device, I may vomit. They will not show the governor using that device. They obviously can't show that. Not not for its traditional usage. No. You think they're going to use it as a tongue depressor? That's what I'm saying. Like if probably not for its typical use, but it's it's for <laughs> it's designed for spreading orifices. And uh they're, they can't use it. They can't use it. It's, it's that simple. You could use it to I'm hold someone's they, mouth open. That would be equally like disturbing to watch. No, I don't think you could get Almost. that past the sensors. I don't think you could get that on the air. I don't. I, I'm surprised that they could put it on the tray. First of all, uh, a little bit surprised. 
but you know, out of context, it's fine. What the hell is that kind of thing? It's but just a tool. If you use it in a television show, I really don't think that they'll get that past any kind of censor review. I don't think we'll ever see that thing again. I, like I said, they're not going to use it in for its traditional or maybe intended purpose, but they might do something else with it. You never know. I, I don't think we'll see it again. All right. Uh, from from Facebook, Sean wrote on our page, "Holy crap! For me, was the governor having a way too good time with in <laughs> a way too good time with his alone time at the start? Someone likes torture. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Setting up that room just makes him happy. Oh yeah." Uh, Austin from Tennessee. My holy crap, did you see that moment was when Andrea was struggling with the walker strangling her. Did you see the tree sway wildly beside Andrea while she struggled? It was the only tree moving, but the crazy part is that neither the walker or Andrea was even touching it. Huh. I didn't notice the rubber tree. Me neither. But I will go back and check it out. (sighs) See, I have always kind of keep a half eye open for uh, technical faults. And I, I rarely see them, and I missed that one. Yeah, well, I mean, you're the one who pointed out that Nerf football zombie head that Daryl stepped on, yeah, um, and some other stuff like that. But I didn't notice a wacky tree here. But every time they're outside, I look for contrails from uh, airplanes. Oh, really? I want to point that out, like in the old spaghetti westerns, right? They're supposed to be in the western, and they you see like high altitude planes going by with a condensation trail. I look for those in this show. Like, like, look a plane. You know what? You got to think that's the e- sort of thing that would be easy to erase out of a scene, oh, right? Today, yeah, absolutely. They would. I'm sure that they would catch it. But think of the uh, the, the size of the faux pas if they didn't catch it. Yeah, that's so true. easily fixed, so easily caught. Yet they didn't catch well, it and made it to air. Now I'm going to look for them too. Someday I used to do that with Lost. I used to always think one day I'm going to see a boat in the background by accident. Yeah, and I don't know that I ever did. I don't think so. Anyways. I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, Alex from San Diego. Hey, guys. My OMG DYST moment was when Andrea let those walkers loose on the governor. How the heck did he make it out of there? And I, I sort of agree. It was, he just first turned, of all, hightailed it. He ran. He probably turned and ran. But I think the point is, it was a pretty cool move by Andrea. She's like, It was. I got the upper hand here. I know where there's a giant staircase full of walkers, and I can just <laughs> open this door, and you're toast. That's just a bunch of people waiting to go to work. Yeah, that's right. They and they've been the waiting, factory, yeah. waiting there for a long time. Yeah. It was lunch when the zombie apocalypse broke <laughs> they out. They were all even, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, Mike from the internet, my holy crap, did you see that moment was the worst trope ever when Andrea was coming up on the prison and her voice was gone until suddenly the governor showed up and grabbed her mouth and then she seemed able to scream, but of course was muffled by the governor's hand. Yeah, that was pretty tropey. Maybe a little bit, but... Whatever. She probably was um, out. She didn't have any water. She was probably dehydrated, you know. And Yeah, she was stumbling. She was tired. She's been running all night. She was trying to wave at Rick and couldn't hey, even Rick, barely do that. Just her, her face lit up. Like, I'm finally here. Yeah. Aww. Exactly. Uh, Jason from Missouri. Tyrese calling anger red. So Tyrese, when, uh, when he was talking with the governor near the end... And he was talking about how he saw the walkers in the pit and he got mad. He said, I saw red. Right. Which uh, Jason goes on to say, the only other person to refer to it that way was Morgan. I guess this is better. Is this, I guess this is a better trend than killing all the black people off. (laughs) (laughs) Give them a catchphrase instead. Oh, that's true. (laughs) You know, Uh, I don't know. I I noticed that too. And I thought it was interesting that it was a thing that both characters said so close together in episodes too. Um, all right, Amanda from Sweden. My holy crap moment of the week is when the governor grabs Andrea. So out of the blue and shocking. Needless to say, I was screaming at the TV. 
uh, have really missed those shocking moments in the show for the past few episodes. So happy they brought that element back. That's nice. So the good shock scare. Uh, for me, my moment this week is kind of a goofy one. Uh, after Andrea releases the zombies out into the room to attack the governor, she's running away, and she uh, we hear him like screaming down there during his fight. Yeah, not you know, sort of um, un uh, sort of unidentifiable screams. You don't know if he's screaming because he's being eaten or because he's just all riled up and he's a killing machine. Right, could be one or the other. But anyways, Andrea passes uh, a wall with the words "ha ha" written on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know, almost seems a little ham-fisted to me, but it was there, so I was like... That's kind of weird. That's kind of how she was feeling. Ha <laughs> ha! Take that, you governor. <laughs> you governor, you! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so before we get into iTunes reviews, do you have one? Uh, I have a small one. It's just, uh, it's when uh, uh, Milton was talking to the governor and said, uh, you know, you don't have to go after Michonne, it, it doesn't matter. And the governor turns and says, it's all that matters. Yeah, that's a good point. That was a good line. I think there's two things about that that I like. First of all, I really liked how Milton has manned up in this episode yep. and stood up to his his crazy leader. True. And, uh, and it just drove home how single and narrow-focused the governor is. All yeah. he cares about is getting revenge. Now. Yeah, damn this stupid town. I need my revenge. Exactly. He'll, he'll destroy the good thing they have going there just to get back at her. Yes. Pretty, pretty insane. And Milton's, Milton and Andrea are the only ones that recognize that right now. Yeah, but they're, they also have um, – well, the rest of the town, with maybe Martinez aside, doesn't have as – doesn't seem to have as close a relationship with the governor. So they, they know something's going on, but they don't really necessarily know what, right? They're all drinking the tea. They're drinking the tea. They're just going about their day-to-day lives. Everyone else is preparing for a war. They might not even know that that's all happening, right? Yeah. There's 75 of them, so some are bound to be out of the loop, you know? Yeah, you'd think. So, uh, that, yeah, that was it for mine. It was a small thing. It was a nice line, though. I liked it. It was a good line, and it, it said a lot in a few words. Yeah. Is what was cool. All right, man. Um, iTunes reviews. Oh, We're yeah. going to go back and look at those. What oh, do we got from iTunes crap. this week? I closed the thing. Vamp for a second. Oh, my gosh, man. Well, iTunes reviews are the, <laughs> one of the best ways that you can, you know, let us know you sort of appreciate what we're doing here. You know, we've gone long today, so if you're still with us, why don't you head over to iTunes, leave us a review, preferably five-star, and it's a great way to sort of get the word out and let other people discover us and find out what we're doing here. Good work. I'm ready. Because there's there's... <laughs> Millions of podcasts there is in the iTunes store, super tons, and it's difficult to rise to the top. It is, um, but we're we're trying our hardest. All right, so for five star reviews this week, we got uh, Michelle and John. Thank you, Evil Vile Kitty, Tom, uh, Lord Gray Fox, Lusty Wench, Ooh, <laughs> AK Girl sixty one. Uh, what is it? Not Yalser. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know and. Uh, Oh, GB Rata, Ral- Ralta. I like it. Yeah. So thank you very much for your five-star reviews. That was fantastic. And like I said, everyone head over to iTunes and leave us a review if you'd like. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna force anyone to do anything they don't yeah, want. You to. can't force them to put a five-star review. But we'll read. Well, your we're name. not gonna have a, a you know a torture room with uh, chains and poles <laughs> and speculums and such. No, we are not. We can't force you. Um, we, we appreciate def- it. We appreciate it. Positive reinforcement, not negative reinforcement. That's right. We, it makes us happy. Yes, it <laughs> does. Right. 
Alrighty, next week we'll be back when we recap episode 15, the uh, penultimate episode for season three. Yep. It's called This Sorrowful Life, and it's directed by Greg Nicotero. Oh, good stuff. Executive producer and head special effects man on the show, yeah. Greg Nicotero. Maybe we'll get another teabag zombie. Maybe kind we of will. Well, you know what? We're definitely going to get a zombie situation like that that involves something really disgusting. We yeah. always do with his. Hero zombie? Is that what they're called? A hero zombie. Um, a hero zombie dying and being torn apart in a horrific fashion, probably. Yes. yes. One other thing to note, that it was written by Scott M. Gimple, who is next year's new showrunner. Oh, good for him. So uh, he recently wrote Clear, which, of course, was the Morgan episode that everyone loved. So Scott M. Gimple, uh, giving, you know, maybe next week he'll give us a little insight into what the show is going to be like next year when he's driving the truck. Oh, that'd be nice. The, so the show is a truck? The show is a truck. All right. When he's manning the ship, when he's at the helm. Right. All different vehicle analogies yes <laughs> steer in the shuttle that's right <laughs> okay uh thanks for listening everybody we'll be back as i said next week it'll be number 109 and uh, don't forget our live broadcast is coming up on april 6th 5 p.m eastern time more information about that as we get closer to the day but just remember it's the saturday after the show ends uh, the season three i mean finishes right easy to remember in the meantime, by all means, if you want to contact us, give us a call in the zombie line, 1-866-483-9662. That is 483-ZOMB. We are on Twitter at Talking Dead. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. That's where we've got all our likes. That's where everyone likes us. It is. That's where everyone likes everybody in the modern internet age, actually. That's, yeah, it's your only choice. You can't unlike somebody, or you can unlike them, but you can't dislike somebody. No, you can't. You either like them or not. Send us email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. For The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.